As you're finding your seat, just take God's Word, if you would, and turn to Acts chapter 24. And we're going to begin reading in verse 24 in just a moment. Um, And today we're dealing with the topic of the problem with procrastination. The problem with procrastination. Um, I want to ask you a question. Do you have trouble with procrastination? Nod your head, you're looking so pious out there. Yes, you, I'm, sure, I'm sure all of us have. Some, can we answer? You know, submit your answers and, and put them in, on your Connect card. Do that for me, Wit. <laughs> you can think about it a, a while. I know I have a problem, a big problem with procrastination, and uh, beginning tomorrow I'm going to do something about it. So... As a matter of fact, I think we're probably all plagued with some form of procrastination, but do you know that some forms of procrastination um, can be actually harmful to us, Um, can be actually deadly, can be actually spiritually deadly to us? Harper's Bazaar gave a little test of five questions about whether we are procrastinators, so we're going to get back to that topic in just a moment. But just to get our minds warmed up, uh, they suggested, number one, to see if you have a problem with procrastination. Do you always hand in work at the deadline or later, but never early? All right, here's one even more convicting. Do you postpone starting a diet until some set time in the future? And you, that time keeps changing. You keep moving the goalposts, kind of. Um, three, do you use fatigue or a headache for a reason for not getting things done? Oh, I'm just too tired. Now's not the right time. I don't feel good. Four, do you clutter up your daily schedule with little things so that you don't have time to do the big or more important things that you're just trying to avoid. If you do, you might have trouble with procrastination. And there may be other things involved with that that you have a problem with. Last, do you delay in seeing a doctor about symptoms (coughs) because you hope they'll go away? Never. I never do that. May I be the first to tell you, men, don't delay. Well, we laugh sometimes about procrastination, but I want to tell you about procrastination that it's more than just putting things off. It can be a thief of time. It has been called a grave of opportunity. And it may be the road to hell. Not not just procrastinating stuff you know you need to do. But procrastinating, putting off the most necessary decision you will ever make, and that's a decision for Christ. Now, some who hear this message today, or sermons all across this nation, who are not saved, will not get saved, because maybe they're just out-and-out sinners. I mean, they don't believe what I preach They don't want to believe it. They hate God. They hate Christ. They hate the Bible. They hate church. And they don't intend ever to be saved. 
There's a second category of persons who will hear a message like this and refuse salvation, and these are self-righteous individuals. They think the gospel is just for thieves and murderers or prostitutes or perverts. The down and out, but definitely not them because they're nice or cultured folks. They live good lives. They do good deeds. They're even religious and they don't see their need of being saved. And I suppose there are a great number like that. But I believe the largest categories are the people who are lost and who would not be saved, who I will call spiritual procrastinators. They do not intend to go to hell. They sincerely intend one day to get saved, but not today. They put it off and refuse to receive Christ now, thinking that there will be a perfect opportunity later on. Now, I want to read a scripture that deals with a man who had a problem with spiritual procrastination. We find him in Acts chapter 24, beginning with verse 24. He actually appears before this, and it's none other than Felix, one of the Roman procurators or governors of that area, uh, that Paul finds himself in a trial uh, before. And I believe in all likelihood, Felix finds himself in hell today. And I'm going to tell you why. You'll see why as we read uh, 24 through 27 in the book of Acts, chapter 24. Since Felix was well informed about the way, he adjourned the hearing, saying, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. And he ordered that the centurion keep Paul under guard, though he could have some freedom, and that he should not prevent any of his friends from meeting his needs. Several days later, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. Now, as he spoke about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid, or your version may say trembled. And he replied, leave for now, but when I have an opportunity, I will call for you. At the same time, he was also hoping that Paul would offer him money. So he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. And after two years had passed, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and, became, uh, and because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. Now, here's the setting. Paul is a prisoner of Caesarea, finds himself in Caesarea, and there is a Roman judge, also called a governor, whose name was Felix. And uh, he had some spiritual proclivities, some spiritual, I think, inclinations, if you will. And he wants to understand the faith concerning Christ Jesus. And it is not as though Paul pounced on Felix. Felix actually invited Paul to come in and speak with him. 
he already knew something about the way, about the movement of Christians following Jesus Christ. So he was well, well aware of them. He wanted an explanation of what it meant to come to faith in Christ. And that's what he's asking about in this passage today. He says, Paul, I want you to tell me about Jesus Christ. You know, Paul must have gotten real excited for somebody to invite him to tell him about Jesus. And Paul preached a very Christ-centered, very appropriate for the moment message to this man. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit was so strong that Felix trembled. I like using that word. Trembled kind of like a leaf in the storm. And he was right at the threshold of salvation. But then he did something that so many people do. He said, now Paul, go your own way for for a time, and when I have an opportunity, or as the New King James says, when I have a convenient time. King James says a convenient season. Then I'm going to call for you. That is, Paul, I know you're right. I'm under conviction, but I'm not going to do it now. I'm going to wait for a better time. And what Felix called an opportunity, a convenient time, never came. So the devil trapped him. And I believe the devil has him in hell this very day. I want us to look at two things as we look at this passage of Scripture of the problem of procrastination. I want you to see, first of all, as we consider Felix, I want you to see the sermon that convicted him. The sermon that convicted him. Now, when Felix called for Paul, he said, Paul, you tell me more about this Jesus. And look in verse 25, as he, and he spoke about righteousness. That was the first point of his sermon. He spoke about self-control. That was point number two. And he spoke about uh, the judgment to come. And that was his third point. And Felix trembled. Uh, that was a sermon that truly convicted him. Now, you ha- all we have is the outline, the, but the Bible says that Paul reasoned with him or spoke, or your version may say conversed with him about these things. So there was more than what we just read here, which is an outline. That is, Paul took each of these points, explained them, kind of expounded and expanded them, and reasoned with this governor about these things. Now, I suppose had you and I been there uh, that day, we would have said, uh, uh, now, Paul, listen, you're about to go in and see Felix. Be very careful how you approach this. This is a man who has great power and could free you. So you don't want to you know, talk to him in a way that's not going to loosen those chains on your wrists and ankles. So tone it down. Flatter him a little bit. You know, work him over. Get him you know, conditioned to accept the gospel. Use a little courtesy. Talk to him maybe about your world travels. Find some common denominator, some things you have in common. Talk to him about philosophy and Hey, if he wants a little bit of cash, slip him a little bit of money. 
But Paul, for, for all intents and purposes, hey, you need to be careful. Paul did not heed our advice if we were to give him that advice. Paul preached a come-to-Jesus message to this man so much so that the King James says he trembled. He trembled. You would have thought that it was Felix before Paul rather than Paul before Felix. You would have thought that Paul was the governor, the prosecutor, and that Felix was on trial. There was a terrible accident that occurred in England some time ago uh, on a road. It was an unfinished road, and um, some people traveling on that road got involved in a wreck, and some people lost their lives. Uh, this particular accident went to court, and um, the, they kind of went back and forth arguing. The prosecutor said this road was not properly marked. It was a dangerous road, and it, it did not have the proper markings, and the defense said, well, it, it was marked, and it had a red flag of warning. And they went back, say, go back and get the flag and bring it in for uh, evidence. And they brought the flag back in, and it was not a red flag per se. It was kind of a light pink flag. And it turns out that it used to be a red flag, but it had set out in the sun and the weather for so long it had, all the red had simply faded out. And the most it offered was a light pink color that nobody paid attention to. And I believe that there are many pulpits today waving a light pink flag. Instead of a red flag of warning to take care of spiritual business today, while it is still called today, and make your peace with God. Thank God for the Apostle Paul. He didn't hedge his message one bit. He did not trim his message. He mentioned these three things. First of all, he mentioned the standard that was revealed. And that was righteousness. That's the standard that God has. He said, now judge, I know perhaps you think you're a good man. I, I think you're, you're probably a good governor, probably a good, pretty good leader. But let me tell you the standard that God has, and it's absolute righteousness and I'm going to tell you something else Mr. Judge you may think that you're righteous because you've done a few good things in your life <laughs> and I imagine he may have well quoted knowing Paul he knew the scripture so well Isaiah 64 6 which reads all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous acts like filthy rags. And he says, now judge, you're sitting there wrapped in your royal robes. You're sitting there with all of your magnificence. But I want you to see yourself as God sees you now, and that is with filthy rags. And that word filthy rags literally means the rags that lepers would wear when they'd get tired of them, cast them off. They were useless even to them. Now he says, Judge, that's not what God thinks of the bad things you do. That's what God thinks of the good things you do. The things you do apart from Christ are like filthy rags before our very holy God. 
Your righteousness is as filthy rags. And you're never going to be saved by all of your good deeds. He says, now judge, I want to tell you where righteousness is. And I don't know that he used this statement, but I could imagine Paul quoting this type of scripture because he quoted it later in the Word of God, 2 Corinthians 5.25, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in Him, that's talking about Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And he tells this judge that self-righteousness is just non-existent in God's sight. And then he told Felix that the Lord Jesus Christ took our sins upon Himself carried them to the cross, and purchased forgiveness for our sins. I believe he told him, Judge, the only way that righteousness can be yours is through faith and faith alone. And if that was in Paul's heart, I'm sure he must have told Felix this. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5, But to the one who does not work, talking about for salvation, but believes on Him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited for righteousness. Isn't it reasonable that Paul told him these things? Felix, your righteousness is no good. Felix, God has provided righteousness in the Lord Jesus Christ who took your sins to the cross, who gave His life for you. Felix, Mr. Governor, Judge, You're not going to attain salvation based on your works. But to the one who does not work, the Scripture said, we just read that, but believes on Him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is credited for righteousness. So first of all, the standard that Paul revealed was righteousness. That was his first point of this message. But the second point was the sin that was revealed. His self-control or really lack thereof. Self-control. Now, he talks about his self-control. And if there was ever a man out of control, it was Felix. Felix was a carnal man. For example, example, the the Bible says that his uh, wife, Drusilla, she was was a Jew. But do you know what other sources, uh, uh, historical sources of that day tell us? She was one of the most beautiful women of her day. That's why he probably stole her. She was one of the daughters of King Herod Agrippa, that murderous old king. You remember him. You remember what happened to him in Acts chapter 12. He died and was eaten by worms. Well, this was the daughter of King Herod Agrippa. And she got married the first time when she was about 14 or 15. But Felix had set her, his eyes upon her and stole her to become his woman, stole her to become his wife. That wasn't his only problem. He was a politician. And if you will read the story all the way through one more time, through uh, the story here in Acts, you will find that one of the reasons that he talked with Paul, along with wanting to know about salvation, was that he was hoping to get a bribe. Now, this was just his habit. You don't know any politicians today who are, you know, getting bribes, right? Because that's outlawed. It's against the law, folks, to be in office and getting bribes. He was hoping that Paul would slip him a little bit of money, 
maybe buy his freedom. Now, no judge is supposed to do that, but I mean, it's, it's obvious. Here was a man who was willing to take a bribe, and as you study the entire chapter of this man, you see him pandering to the Jews. You see, eventually, he wants to give them something, it says, to make them happy. To make the Jews um, content with him. He decides to leave Paul in prison for a very long time. He crucifies his conscience for public opinion. So what Paul is saying here, here is God's standard, it's absolute righteousness. The only righteousness that you can have is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, here's your conduct. Man, you got no self-control. You, my dear friend, are out of control. You are a sinner by nature, by birth, by practice, and by choice. And the third thing that he said, not only was there a standard of righteousness that he revealed, and not only was there a sin that he presented to him, man, you gotta, you got to see yourself as God sees you. But third... There was a summons that Paul revealed, and that was judgment. Judgment. Righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, verse 25. Now, here's what God demands. Here's what you are. God demands righteousness. Here's who you are. You are a sinful man, and judgment is coming. You're going to face God someday. And that's important for Felix to understand because here he was on his throne. He has all the power. He's got all this wealth and luxury, as much as the governor had in those days. And what Paul is saying to him, now, Felix, don't judge by appearance. Don't judge by what is happening right now. Judge by what is going to happen in the future. You see, judgment is not now. It is coming. Don't ever get the idea that God judges an unsaved man or woman now. He doesn't. Well, you say, don't the unsaved get into trouble because of their sin? Anybody who's, who gets into trouble because of their sin. Listen, everybody faces some kind of consequence of their sin, and rightfully so. That's just God's economy, the way things, the, the way things God has set up. But, I mean, if you live a, a life of, you know, bad decisions one after the other, you are going to face the consequences eventually of those decisions. And if not here on earth, you're going to stand before the Lord someday. I think that's just built-in judgment. The stuff that comes across to us as uh, as a natural consequence of our actions kind of built-in judgment. But one of the most terrifying verses in the Scripture is Romans 2, 5. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. And it reads, Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. What does that mean? There is a day of wrath coming. There's a day of judgment coming. And people with hardened hearts are just storing up wrath upon wrath against that day of God's wrath. And the righteous judgment of God is coming. 
I mean, this is a stern sermon. He reveals the standard, which is righteousness. He reveals the sin, which has to do with his self-control. He reveals a summons. He says, listen, Governor, Judge, Felix, my friend, judgment is coming. And so here was a man whose hands were filthy with the sins of the flesh, who was in dire need of a Savior and all that Jesus could do for him. Paul does not back down. He doesn't let down. When Paul finishes the sermon, look what happens in verse 25. Felix becomes afraid, or he trembled. Why does he tremble? He wasn't afraid of Paul. Paul's probably there in chains. Felix was under Holy Spirit conviction. Listen, the Holy Spirit convicts lots of people. But not everybody will yield to the conviction of that Spirit. Thank God that the Holy Spirit still convicts today. And I would that more people would say yes to the Holy Spirit. But Felix only trembled. That was his, his response to Paul's message. I mean, wouldn't it have been wonderful if, if, if the Scriptures would have recorded, oh, now, Paul, I, I want to receive this Jesus. You think he'll save even me? I'm the worst of sinners, Paul. Uh, do you? No, no, Paul said, I'm the worst of sinners. If he can, if he can save me, he can save you. And, and what if the scriptures just recorded that um, he, he fell on his knees and Paul led him to the Lord? You remember uh, the story of the Philippian jailer in chapter 16 of Acts? You know, it, it says that uh, he was trembling. The Holy Spirit had convicted him and that he believed and his whole family came to faith. The same could have happened to Felix. But here's what Felix does. He comes right to the threshold of salvation. He's under conviction. But he says, says he became afraid. He says, leave now. But when I have an opportunity... A more convenient season, convenient time, I'll call for you. He procrastinates in the worst way possible. Not only the preaching that convicted him, but finally, final point, I want you to see the pressures that confronted him. The pressures that confronted him. You know, the, the devil never gives up on anybody or anything without a struggle. When the Holy Spirit of God moved into Felix to convict him, the devil moved in to confront him. And this is unfortunate. But the devil always responds in this way. The devil did not want Felix to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to be saved. And so he begins to unleash all of the artillery of hell, and there were three mighty war, uh, forces that really warred against this man's soul. We think of them in terms of the enemies of all of us that face this. And you know what they are. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now you think about it. First of all, worldliness. The world warred on this man. Here he is down in Caesarea. He's down in a place of prominence, in a place of power, in a kind of a palace of position, if you will. 
a big shot. Now, in order for him to be saved, he has to humble himself. Guys, listen, everybody in here who is truly saved has humbled themselves before the God, before Jesus. We have to be humble. He has to admit that he's wrong. He has to admit that he needs Christ. Hey, folks, there are a lot of people today who get under conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the devil says, hey, man, don't go down there and make a fool of yourself. What will people think? Maintain your pride. I mean, you go down there, that's like saying, sorry, but you're needy. You better believe you're needy. And I'm needy. We're all in need of that salvation. And that's what the devil says to us. And so pride sits in the seat of every sinner. But not only did the world begin working on him and confront him, but the flesh worked on him. I mean, uh, remember, there's you know, young Drusilla. There's a sensuous life that he's having. There are bribes he's been getting. There's this soft job that he has. There are all the pleasures of the flesh that he may be asked to give up. While the world worked on him and pressured him, Satan all the while was responding in glee. He knew that he had him. And then the flesh worked on him and pressured him. But dear friends, that's when the devil confronts a person and begins to work on you and begins to pressure you. You can read between the lines and you can see how Satan is whispering in his ear. Now, Felix, old buddy, just cool it. You're responding very emotionally right now. And that's very unworthy of a governor. Just calm down. Tell Paul that you'll think about it. Just tell him it's not a convenient time right now to make that decision. Can you just picture the devil speaking into his ear? There's an imaginary story of a convocation of demons, maybe you've heard variations of it, who met to find out the best way, the most effective way, to damn the souls of men. They were having a strategy meeting, planning meeting. No, I did not attend this meeting. It's imaginative. So they were having a planning meeting. And one demon stood up and said, well, let's tell the people that there is no God. We can just say there's no God. There's no, if there is no God, there's no reason for people to repent and no reason for people to, to be saved. And some will say, well, that will damn a few. Some might buy into that, but, you know, that's not the best plan because the evidence for God is just overwhelming. The fool says there is no God. Well, it's just obvious that God exists. So that idea got a few hand claps, but not, not many. And another demon stood up and said, well, let's, um, let's let them um, uh, that while, think that while God exists, the Bible is not true. It's just a bundle of blunders and a book of lies. And some applauded and said, well, that may get a few souls, but 
you know, the inspiration of the Bible is just kind of self-evident. I mean, there's all this fulfilled prophecy. There's a, the wonderful unity of the Bible. There's the application of the Bible. There's the everlasting qualities of the Bible. And these things, well, they might, they might damn a few souls, but I don't think it's going to get very many. Another demon stood up and said, well, let's just tell them that Christ is not their Savior. Let's preach the Christ of good works. Let's just humanize Jesus and make him, rather than a savior, just kind of a model leader. Tell people if they'll just be good enough. and Try to live a good life like Jesus and so forth. They'll be saved. They'll probably be all right. Some of the demons applauded, but some said, well, wait a minute. Some will buy that, but the Holy Spirit of God can fix people that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and people know that, that they're sinners, and they know that they, that they need a, a substitute to die for them. When they hear it, they'll just kind of, their spirit will bear witness. So finally, the chief demon, the head honcho, an archdemon stood up, and there was silence in the room. And he said, Let me tell you what to do. Admit that God exists. Admit that Jesus Christ is a Savior of the world. And even admit about the Bible being true. And admit the people need to be saved. But just tell them not to do it today. Hellish applause, and the demon said, That's the best plan of all. Now, obviously, that's a fictitious story. None of us have sat in a convocation of demons and listened to their business meeting, but as you study history, as you study the warnings of the Bible, you know that souls by the thousands have been sent to hell because they have simply postponed the day of salvation. Here was pressure, real pressure put upon this man, Felix. Not today, Paul. And later. Later on, I'll see you again. The problem with procrastination. I read a little bit of history about Felix because so much was written about these guys. Romans were great at at their history. Felix was eventually relieved of his duties. We know, according to Scripture, he left Paul in prison for a long period of time, forgot about him, and the history records that Felix committed suicide, that he looked at his reflection in the water, and that he began to think of all the evil he had done in his life, that his life was really totally messed up, and he threw himself out in the midst of that lake, not able to swim, and he drowned to death. Felix believed convenience would someday come. Felix believed that the conviction in his heart would continue. And that all of the conflicts of life, the things that we busy ourselves with, would cease and an opportune moment would present itself to Felix to be saved. 
Well, how do we know that Felix didn't turn his life over to the Lord, at least at that time? After two years had passed, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor more than he wanted his own soul to be saved. That's an aside. Because he wanted to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. And I close with this. Hebrews 3, 7 and 8. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I'm just overwhelmed by the truth found in these scriptures, the truth found in the message today. I I, I thank you that when I was convicted by the Holy Spirit, um, back when I was seven and eight and nine, that at the age of ten, I finally yielded to the Holy Spirit and said yes to the Lord Jesus. I thank you for giving me those years of life. And I had not committed myself to you, Father. Therefore, you had not committed yourself to me, even as a child. Father, even as I heard the gospel presented three times a week, and in church, every time those doors were open, and they were often down in that big church in East Texas, I thank you for saving Thank you for giving me time. But you didn't promise me time. Just like today, you do not promise the sinner, the unsaved person who keeps saying next week, next week, next week. I'll say yes to Jesus. We're not promised, Lord, one more day. And I know that we all realize that. But I pray that there's anyone here either watching on Facebook Live or here in this room, or we have people that we're praying for, loved ones, family members, those neighbors or friends that are near and dear to our heart and we want them to be saved. And maybe they're just saying, well, someday, someday, Lord, that day may never come. And help us to realize that good thoughts don't get us into heaven. Good works don't get us into heaven. Lord, if we face that great white throne judgment, it is because we died unsaved. Lord, if Felix is there, let us not be counted as one of him. That's poor company to be involved with. The only judgment we want is that wonderful judgment seat of Christ for all the believers that the Bible talks about. We want to stand before our Lord Jesus. And yes, we will have to give an accounting of all that we said and did in life. But Father, then He opens up the doors to heaven. Father, I pray for the salvation of everybody here. I pray that we genuinely know that we're saved and that if we genuinely do not know if we're saved or we don't, we know for sure that we're not saved, that we will take care of business today and come to faith in You. 
For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.